0: I really need to be going to these places? Is a platform like Alibaba.com a better way to find manufacturers? And realistically, like I'm a lot less stressed. I don't have to get on a plane. It saves me money. It saves me time. It's realistically way more efficient.
1: Alibaba.com Sourcing Insights is the official podcast from the Alibaba.com team. Each week on the show, we bring you conversations with industry-leading experts who are using Alibaba.com to build and scale their businesses. These conversations help you explore opportunities through digital global sourcing amidst changing times and find diversified winning products and leading suppliers on Alibaba.com. Subscribe and be sure to check back for regular episodes. On this episode of the Alibaba.com Sourcing Insights podcast, Kunle Campbell of 2 x Ecommerce speaks with Mike Jackness of Tehran.com all about coordinating complex orders with international suppliers.
2: Hello, welcome to the Alibaba.com Sourcing Insights podcast. I'm your host, Kune Campbell. Some of you may know me from the 2x e-commerce podcast, which I have been running for just over seven years, but I'm here to host the Alibaba Sourcing Insight podcast, and I'll be interviewing some of the brightest minds in the product sourcing space. We hopefully will help you source smarter and sell faster for your e-commerce businesses. On today's show, um, I'm joined by Michael. I'm honored. To to have you on the show, you're a fellow podcaster from e crew, but you do a lot more than podcasting. While some of you listeners may already know him, I would love for you, Michael, to share a bit about your background so people just get some context as who you are and what you do.
0: I apologize in advance. I'm probably pushing the envelope on the from your intro. There are the smartest minds. But well, do my best. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we've been doing the ecom crew podcast for. Almost 500 episodes, as you mentioned, which has really just been a documentation of our entire journey since we sold treadmill.com. We we started out with that domain name and selling fitness equipment as a drop shipper. eventually evolved into uh, selling other people's products, and then got into the private label game in like 2015. And, and since that point, been documenting the whole thing over at Ecom Crew through many brands from hot and cold therapy products to stuffed animals. Now we're in some knitting products just a wide variety of things mm-hmm. and it's been a fun journey. It's uh it's one of the industries that uh, I've stuck with even though it's it can be difficult at times mostly because of the people. It's really just an industry full of really awesome people and I look forward to going to all the in-person events again this year as they open back up.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I love the fact that you're you're publicly documenting your journey, which is amazing. You're taking people with you. Great stuff. Great stuff. Yeah. So we're going to be going into a deep dive of managing complex orders when sourcing through international suppliers, so for some people looking to handle you know complex orders, what do you think are like the first principles they should take on board?
0: yeah I, I think that first of all, if you can maybe try to start with a less less complex order you know if if that is a possibility, just to get your feet wet, there's a lot of things that you learn from your first couple of orders when sourcing from anywhere outside your home country. There's a language barrier and a customs you know, uh, issue and uh, being able to, to get your import bond and deal with shipping and, and everything else that goes into it, duties and everything. I think that's a better place to start from your first order. But I love getting into more complex orders once you've gotten over that hump because the complexity, I think, is the opportunity, right? That's how I look at sure. it. If you're sourcing the most basic of things, uh, then it makes it easier for someone else to do that. And if you add some complexity to it, then it can really help differentiate you from the crowd. And our things that we identify as complex orders aren't really all that complex in the grand scheme of things when you're talking about sourcing. Something like a set of gel pens that we released years ago where you might originally the people that were selling uh, on, online were really just selling just the pens, you know, in, in a plastic kind of cheap presentation case where well, we up the game by adding a really nice cloth case and packaging to it uh, and a really nice box. And that ends up coming from multiple manufacturers. And, and one of them will typically be the point person that that puts it all together.
2: I was going to ask you about how would you define a complex order? What's been the most just out of curiosity? What's been the most complex? Um, order you've put in internationally for for your e-commerce businesses?
0: Yeah, the most complex one would be three three different manufacturers doing stuff, and this has happened for us multiple times. And typically, it's that for us is like widget A plus widget B plus a box. And mm-hmm. I'm really big on packaging. I think that the the way I look at things, yes, we're online retailers. We we don't do any uh, brick and mortar. Although I I do aspire to to have products that we can eventually have in brick and mortar. Got in close a couple of times. It's never quite worked out. But I I think that delivering a retail experience to to customers is important. When you deliver something in a poly bag that looks like a warehouse deal or discount deal or something, or maybe it was like a used open return type of thing, Mm -hmm. it doesn't leave the best of impressions. And I buy my fair share of things off of Amazon and online, and a lot of things show up that way. Uh, Our our approach is to to deliver a retail quality experience and, and try to deliver true five-star maybe uh, I someone told me the other day they use this thing a six-star experience i've been stealing their line now because uh, i think the bar has, has been raised so much and packaging can be a large part of that and oftentimes packaging is not the manufacturer's expertise that you're buying from and so contracting a third party to do that can really help with that
2: super interesting i i, I often to sort of- Draw parallels with perceived value. You know, packaging can you know just differentiate and give that perceived value to 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 customers essentially. So, how do you select which of the partners? So, in in that situation in which you have three suppliers, how do you select where the final, shall I say, assembly will go on? Um, who's
0: what, who? Who wins the mm-hmm. the deal? Yeah, it's a great question. Are Our- default would be to the person who we've sent the most money to. And and typically that's where the bulk of the goods are. And so it it just, again, it depends on the situation. Sometimes there are manufacturers that just don't want this responsibility. They just, they feel like they're not equipped to deal with it. And so then we'll go down the, the chain. It's almost never the box manufacturer. In fact, I don't think it's ever been the box manufacturer. So usually it's a situation of, hey, you have the highest value of the p o or of this order, or it can be physically by size just because the other stuff has to be shipped, uh, and we also try to work regionally wherever we are in the world, we aren't gonna ship boxes halfway across the world, typically, so we'll typically work uh, with the most local manufacturer, and luckily, that's one thing that that seems to exist everywhere is somebody that can create packaging and then also with the widgets, like we have these stuffed animals that inside of them is a uh, hot and cold pack. And and so the stuffed animal comes from one place, and then the hot and cold pack comes from another place. The box comes from another place. Mm -hmm. Uh, In that case, actually, the the person that uh, the company that makes the hot and cold pack does the assembly. It's actually the smaller component. The stuffed animal manufacturer didn't want to deal with it, and so you just you strike up a conversation. Typically, one of the people on that chain will be happy to do it for you in order to win your business.
2: Interesting, interesting. And um, by regionally, you mean within a country rather than countries in a region, if that makes sense.
0: Unless it's a larger country, you got something like China. There's three kind of distinct areas, regions: south, mid, and north. Like the the Guangzhou, Shenzhen mm-hmm. area, then like a, maybe like a Ningbo or like a Beijing or something. You know, that's a country that's as large as the United States. So you don't want to be in a situation if people can relate to Florida versus Washington State. We're mm-hmm. like the box manufacturers in Florida and, and the other manufacturers in Washington State. That's just an expensive journey and a long journey to get from point A to point B. And so we'll mm-hmm. typically look for someone closer. If we're sourcing from another country, typically most other countries around the world are are physically smaller. There are obviously other exceptions. India's pretty large. Uh, Canada is obviously pretty large. We do source some stuff from Canada. And so our main manufacturer there is in, in Ottawa. And so we stick to the Ottawa area to source the rest of the stuff
2: makes perfect sense makes perfect sense and it also reduces your carbon footprint and just reduces increases yeah. efficiency exactly yep all right so some of the listeners to, to this podcast are starting out their journey in in sourcing and they're hitting brick walls in regards to like communication because where the world is global we're global it's the internet has brought us small to a small made the world smaller but there's still communication you know issues so how do you, what tips do you have um, for improving communication, particularly in international trade?
0: I'm from the United States. I know you're from the UK. I think the default way for us to work is to want to get on the telephone when, before placing a large order and, and communicate with somebody and get some level of comfort. In my personal life, I'm I'm very much a text message guy. If My phone rings. I'm like, why are you calling me? <laughs> just, what, what, what is wrong? I have a couple of friends that just, they always want to call. Leave me the hell alone. Just text me. You could have texted me this. So you're calling to tell me you're coming over. Just text me. I'm coming over. But when you're placing a $50,000 order, you want to get a little bit, the default is I like, want to get a little bit more level of comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a lot of places in the world, they're reluctant to get on the phone because a lot of times, and this is really interesting to me as someone who's traveled the world, English is not their first language. And even though they might speak perfectly fine English, they're embarrassed by their English skills. It, it blows me away when I travel the world. They're like, I'm so sorry for my English. You speak better English than a lot of people back home. It's, it's amazing. But that's just their mindset. And so I think it's important. You don't want to make someone uncomfortable, right? Like just for the fact of making them uncomfortable. And so they, they typically would prefer to have it in writing. And one of the only thing, great things about the Alibaba.com platform is you can communicate right in there with manufacturers. Mm-hmm. And again, even though your tendency is to want to get on the phone or want to have a Skype call, it really isn't necessary. You can, and, and the other thing that's really good about putting it in writing is it's in writing. And so there isn't what well, you said on the telephone, XYZ, it's in writing. You can refer back to it. So Now you said that you were going to do this. Mm-hmm. Other ways of communicating can be if you're working with someone outside of Alibaba.com can be through email or through WeChat. If it's in, in Asia, I find that works best unless you're sourcing from a true English is a first language country, Mm -hmm. which in the sourcing world is limited. It typically works best to to move communication to a platform like Alibaba.com and and then have a
1: record of it there. While having in-person visits may be the best way to meet suppliers and understand their capabilities, such travel may not always be practical or even possible. By using Alibaba.com virtual reality showroom tool, you can get an immersive and interactive experience like you are there on site and obtain a wealth of information about sellers professional capabilities to help you with your sourcing decisions learn more about the virtual reality showroom tool and other great tips at buyer.alibaba.com
2: at what point do you think you start to meet them in person would you do it in the first order or would you let a few hundred thousand dollars pass exchange hmm. hands first
0: it's funny that you asked this question and i'm smiling if you're watching on video because my thought process on this has changed quite a bit over the years. When I first got started and, and the very first things I sourced were through Alibaba.com, which is such a great platform to to find a huge breadth of manufacturers all over the world. The, the MOQs can be really quite reasonable. They're used to dealing with people like myself at that stage. Just It saved plane flights and a lot of other expenses. Mm. But I'm also like a relationships guy. And so as we started importing Hundreds of thousands and then millions of dollars a year worth of stuff. My tendency was to go want to be on a plane and go visit them. And even though we couldn't communicate directly, because I don't speak a lot of these other languages through either a translator or some other method, you're, at least you're having a meal with them or seeing things in person. And it was something that I was like really fond of. I felt like it really helped strengthen relationships. COVID has changed everything. Now you're at a point where it's really difficult to travel internationally. I've traveled internationally once since January of, of 2020, and it was a nightmare. It was for a vacation. And just the vaccine requirements and quarantine requirements and testing requirements can be a little bit stressful because you feel like you're playing COVID roulette. It's like when you exactly. land and you take your test, are you going to get to go to where you were planning on going, or do you get to go behind door number three to quarantine hell? <laughs> it's a different world. And- Again, platforms like Alibaba.com, I think, have in my world made a a resurgence because I just don't feel comfortable physically going to these places any longer. And Mm -hmm. I also have a business to run. And just, I think a lot of people have shifted their mindset when it comes to like remote work and other things. I've reassessed my feelings on do I really need to be going to these places? Is a platform like Alibaba.com a better way to find manufacturers? And Realistically, like I'm a lot less stressed. I don't have to get on a plane. It saves me money. It saves me time. It's realistically way more efficient.
2: Makes sense. Makes a ton of sense. Okay, let's get into the topic of intellectual property. Mm. Just adhering to it, ensuring. So, what measures do you put in place to to ensure that your unique designs? I'm quite sure you put together designs, costume designs. You get to prototype. How do you Prevent theft, intellectual property theft, essentially, and copycats, particularly when there's been a production role and it's all in trust with with that particular partner.
0: Yeah, this is a tough one because unless you have a patent or actual defensible intellectual property, it can be difficult. And even if you have a patent, it can still be very difficult because small changes to a product can arguably make it so you're not violating the patent any longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what we do, we do a few things. First of all, whenever we open a mold, we make sure that our name's in it. That's one of the safest things you can do is just your brand name, your trademark is in physically in the mold. The manufacturer can't behind the scenes be making the products for someone else, even though they'll tell you, I'll never do that. You can really ensure that they aren't doing it by making sure that your your brand name is stamped in, in every mold. There, there are some other things you can do within some countries to help protect yourself. But the thing that I've really realized is that whatever you design, whatever you do, there's only so much runway before it really starts to get knocked off. You might Our gel pens is probably the best example of this in our catalog where we designed a brand new idea. It was something that no one had done before. Again, I was talking about before with the case and the gel pens and a set of refills and the way that it was packaged. And it just was like a really amazing product that we were importing uh, a container a month of that was selling that well. And it's only a matter of time before people start to notice this. And the first copycats, we actually sued, but eventually people got smart enough where they were copying in a way that we couldn't really attack them any longer or stop them. I shouldn't say attack them. We, we just couldn't stop them any longer. And so the first lawsuits were around copyright. We had Put our brand name and our our color name. It was an original color palette, like on every single pen. And someone was using the same palette. They weren't. They were just like, oh, "Oh, just we'll find the same manufacturer and we'll have them make the same thing. They they shouldn't have done that, but they did. Um, And we were able to stop them because copyright and trademark law in the in the United States is pretty solid. And in the case of this, we we submitted a case to to Amazon, and they shut them down within minutes. It was actually quite wonderful (laughs) that they actually did something like that. But eventually the competitors got smart and used a different color palette and didn't have our name on them. And it was similar, but not the same. And eventually it was a race to the bottom. And so my my thing to this is you always have to be innovating. You always have to be launching new products. You can only defend yourself for so long. If you get complacent because you have one winner and think that's going to be your gravy train for the rest of your life in this business, I think you're solely mistaken. Yeah, uh, there's really only so much you can do.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, I, I I do agree. There's that window of opportunity to really spur growth and get that market share, and after that, it's it's just left to 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 to, to, to the market really to copycat. Mm-hmm. Okay, so another sort of aspect of of sourcing is managing supplier relationships. What key again first principles would you give? listeners on 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 and just ensuring that they nurture these potentially long-term relationships with suppliers
0: yeah it's important to to constantly be communicating with them every time you place an order think you try to get to the highest level person you can thank them for, for the order for the business they should be thanking you it seems like you want to make sure that's the other way around just as much mm-hmm. and these are also opportunities to discuss future business, other products they might have, but also one of the things I'd like to talk about at these types of junctures is, is better terms. So if you have a good relationship with your supplier and you're now on your third, fourth, fifth order, it can be a really great time to start discussing uh, better payment terms. And mm. and better payment terms can be the difference between a, a make and break e-commerce business. It's a very capital intensive business. And I know some people who have terms with their factories that they've been working with for years now that are paying like 60 days post-delivery, hmm. uh, 100%. They put nothing down. It's just they have a really great relationship. But even getting like the typical relationship is 30% deposit, 70% at delivery, saying, hey, look, can I do 20% down this time? 70% delivery, 10% when it hits the dock in, in LA yeah. uh, or, or New York or whatever it might be. And just slowly inch your way towards better payment terms. And, and typically they'll work with you, especially if your business is growing. And if you frame it in a way of, listen, my business could be 10X with you if I have better payment terms. I'm hampered or limited by cash. If you can help me solve that problem with better payment terms, then I can give you more business. And typically Mm. that will open their eyes and they'll slowly work towards meeting you where you need to be.
2: Absolutely. Really looking at your inventory turnover times, your cash conversion cycle, and these little bits of detail, in terms of your terms, lead to to much more efficient business, essentially. So, so great stuff, great stuff there. I was going to talk about what what did the pandemic sort of from a sourcing standpoint. what's the
0: impact of the pandemic to, to all that you do from a sourcing standpoint? Oh man, <laughs> if you're putting a, a dagger between my like second and third rib here, it's been <laughs> difficult. It really has. It's it, it's been the longest couple of years of my. Business career, it just—I like to win, and I like some type of predictability. And it's been neither of those things. It's one of our largest manufacturers is in Wuhan, China, and so that was a struggle because it was the first place to be shut down, and it was shut down the longest. Shipping containers all around the world are morbidly late. the ports in the United States where we're importing to are backed up beyond belief, and Hmm. so the you've already spent the money. Your money's sitting on the water. You can't make money because it's not in the in your warehouse. You have to pay extra fees for it to sit on the lot at the port, which is one of the things that cracks me up the most about this type of business. I mean, I wish I could do this to my customers. We're like, sorry, that's late. I'm gonna just charge you more to make up for it. It's it's really quite amazing that this phenomenon exists uh, when bringing in containers, but yet it does. And so, it and, and and on the Amazon side, it's been tough because they also we we saw a lot on Amazon. And so things have gotten better now, but like through the height of the pandemic, when they just didn't have enough workers or or they couldn't have enough workers in closed spaces, containers were taking longer to get offloaded on their lot. I mean, let's say they had four people unloading a container in like 30 minutes before, like they just would go in there and boom, the thing would be just empty like like wildfire. Uh, Now maybe you can only have one person in there. Now it takes four hours because uh, it's just much less efficient. You know, that was backing up Amazon's lots. Same thing with their warehouse. I think that their warehousing uh, was backed up because there just wasn't enough manpower to to fetch all the items. And yeah, it's been really difficult. Things seem to be getting better right now, but I'm hoping that this is not like we're in the eye of the hurricane and actually that the hurricane has passed, but it's it it has been difficult. And It's really tried my patience (laughs) to say the least over the last couple of years. Oh my. Oh my. And then
2: shipping times, shipping costs, uh, are they going down now or are they still at at an all-time high?
0: Yeah, the last container that we brought in was 23 grand. So that's the most we've ever paid was the most recent container as of recording this and recording this in, in early March. I am very hopeful. I have been hearing Prices drop. I've just been out of curiosity asking my freight forwarders what is the current rate, and I'm getting much lower numbers, like almost half, which is very exciting. (laughs) Unfortunately, we have several containers that we paid $18,000 or more in our warehouses, and so that cost is now uh, baked into our future cogs for the things that we sell over the next couple of months, which Mm -hmm. is going to make our profitability look pretty awful. But hopefully, that does revert back to the mean. If it doesn't, it's just going to push inflation even higher. It's already a problem. We're already in the highest inflation of my adult lifetime. I do remember being a kid in the 80s and hearing that word bounce around a little bit, but Mm -hmm. I think it's even worse than then. uh, And I don't know that we've really seen the full extent of it yet. Yeah, it's
2: rare and it's it's ugly head, especially with with, with the global conflicts. Yeah, certainly...
0: Got to probably add, maybe that's the eye of the hurricane. We got past COVID and now on the back yeah. end of this is, this is is world conflict, which is yeah. unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So circling back to
2: order complexity, what would you say are like top mistakes companies are just do rookie mistakes, essentially when they're sourcing internationally? How, how would you, what should we avoid?
0: Yeah, I, I think that this isn't necessarily advice just for complex orders. I think that this is something that's, across the board, you know what I've found is that a lot of places love to say yes. And sometimes it's a language barrier. Uh, sometimes it's a cultural thing where you know they just don't want to disappoint you. Uh, sometimes it can be, they just want the order. And so be very careful just because they've said yes to whatever your question is, make sure that they can actually deliver upon it. And I've noticed this both from trips where I was going in person or doing it through email or through communicating on Alibaba.com. It doesn't really matter which method of communication. This is just a, again, it's a kind of a, one of those issues I mentioned. And so for for example, let's say you have this phone case and you want to change the texture of it to something else or engrave something in it. And they're like, oh yeah, we can do that. No problem. Before you get too far down the process, make them prove it make them prove that they can do it or that they they actually understand what you mean. Because a lot of times, again, when you're talking about language barriers, they might just misinterpret what you're saying. And so getting samples, bef- final samples before jumping off in the deep end of the pool, I think it is really important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So
2: you're, you're really testing. It's a test phase. Sample, samples are samples, exactly. And then once you're convinced with the samples, you go for the full-on um, orders. Okay, makes sense. You, you just mentioned the big downside of all that's happened from an inflationary standpoint in the market. The downside of the market is inflation and you don't see it abating. Are there any opportunities, particularly sourcing opportunities from all that has transpired in essentially the supply chain breakdown that you could
0: speak to? Yeah, I don't know that this is something I'm an expert in. For us, it's just been painful. I, I can think of some opportunities. I can think of sourcing from other places in the world where maybe labor rates are cheaper. Maybe there's been less currency devaluation to the dollar or your home currency, places that you just haven't haven't had to raise their, their prices as much. But for us, we haven't really had the opportunity to explore those options because mm-hmm. we're in this weird size where we can't quite do that yet. It's, we're big enough to be bringing in containers of stuff and be sell a million dollars of stuff, but we're not quite at a point where we've had the resources to go explore those other opportunities and mm. been busy with other parts of our business through all of this as well, because we've had our own challenges with manpower and and things of that. So yeah, probably one thing that I'm not as up on in terms of how to deal with inflation you know, in the global context and, and sourcing uh, and how to take it and make it an opportunity. The only thing that we've been able to do on our end that I can tell you that really isn't applicable to this, but I'll, I'll mention it anyway, is we have been able to raise our prices quite a bit more than I thought we would. And so one of the things that's been a big surprise for me is that price elasticity is, is a lot better than I thought. I've, I was very worried about raising prices on anything, especially on competitive marketplaces like Amazon. Nobody wants to be the first one to do it. And I feel like we were one of the first to finally just fall on our sword and go do it because we really had no choice i was like at a point where we had no other choice so did you do
2: it first um, in in relation to competition or um we did what,
0: what was it what did we they did. follow through not really it's been interesting you know one of the things that I've, I've noticed is that like and i've read some studies about this as well people will sometimes just buy the more expensive product they, they yeah. think it's better it's really fascinating in terms of that and also to make this amount of money, you just you can sell fewer units. And so my partner Dave that I do the Ecom Crew podcast with has this great saying that uh, revenue is vanity and profit is sanity, and it's so applicable here because you might mm-hmm. sell less in terms of dollar volume, but make yeah. more money because your price is higher. Yeah, so we were, you know, really the first ones and and really all of our spaces to to raise our prices, especially to the extreme that we did, yeah. but it. I was like, we got to get back to the same level of profitability that we were in before all this started happening. Like running mm-hmm. at a almost 0% profit is not what I'm in business to do. I might as well just mm-hmm. go lay on a beach somewhere. And so we, like we had no choice and and the results have been pretty fascinating to in a very positive way for us.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The 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 other nuance is presentation and perceived value, both on the product listing standpoint yeah. and then on your packaging and when, you know, all that just comes together, then you get away with the premium despite the the products being almost identical.
0: Exactly. So just- and I, I mentioned that earlier. And, and mm-hmm. that really, I mean, I, I don't I want, I, I wasn't oversimplifying it, but that it's a good point you brought up. And that really is, I think, the reason why we can get away with it more than just, okay, somebody's willing to pay a higher price. they, It's a better, I am, it is my listing. And so like I have bias, but I do think that we do a better job than most people uh, that are in our spaces. And we work really mm-hmm. hard to produce great quality listings. And you know, I'm not ragging on other people. There's certainly lots of other people out there that, that do a really good job with their listings as well. But mm-hmm. the reality is that the vast majority of people don't. And so we try to be in that upper bracket of that particular part. Mm-hmm.
2: Makes sense. Do you think digital global sourcing is a key solution to to, to just to, to to this supply chain disruption? What, where do you see digital global sourcing playing a part to to, to just easing this pain?
0: Yeah, I, I, the answer to the question is absolutely. Again, we were talking a little bit earlier in terms of resources, time, cost, everything traveling all over the world for sourcing, having a platform like Alibaba.com that brings it all together and allows you to find people all over the world from your living room or your office or your basement or whatever it might be that you're working from these days, I think is is incredibly important. And if there's any one lesson that that I've learned is that relying heavily on one country to source from uh, is not a great idea. Uh, just like it's not a great idea to rely on one platform to sell on, although we're in that bucket too. Sometimes you see the problems and it's hard to correct them, but certainly from a sourcing standpoint, it's a big initiative for us over the next couple of years to really diversify our sourcing profile to be way more dispersed internationally and not just Mm -hmm. be in, in one part of the world. It's interesting that sometimes you can be in a country that ends up getting crazy import duties, or there's a an outbreak, or there's a global conflict in, or political things change, or whatever. I think the last couple of years have really showed us that anything can happen at any time, uh, just a matter of when. And so mm-hmm. if you have if you're manufacturing the same product in China, Mexico, and India, you know that's certainly a much better footprint to have than just having it all in one spot, where like all of mm-hmm. a sudden the poop hits the fan in one part of the world and you're just like out of business.
2: If you were going to go back to your younger self right when you were getting into sourcing internationally, what advice would you give your
0: younger self? It's an interesting question. One of the things that I I really learned the hard way that took the first couple of years was paying attention to all the details, not like really rushing to get the products out. Like I'm the type of person that once I want to, do something. uh, I just want to get it done and not want to wait for one more round of samples. Or might not want to put the little extra detail into the packaging or whatever it might be. Mm. And realistically, when I look back now at six, seven year career of doing this, our most successful products are the ones we put the most time and effort into. Mm. Put the extra detail in, did another couple of rounds of samples or whatever, we also run a community and this question comes up often so i want to be careful about saying this and then have people get analysis paralysis because that's the other end of the coin where you just you're afraid to ever pull the trigger because is it ever perfect enough and so you got to be you got to be careful of that as well but it's probably better again to just to take a couple extra months and work through being able to differentiate more Because it will create a barrier between you and the next guy. And again, like I mentioned earlier, eventually whatever you do is going to get copied in some way. If it's successful, everyone has access to tools online to find the popular best-selling products. But the more complicated it is and the more detail you put into it and the better relationship you have with your manufacturer to ensure that they don't uh, make it for somebody else will hold them off longer. And the longer you can hold off the Calvary, the better because that gives you more time to develop your next product and your next product before the life cycle kind of tails off but yeah i think looking back i i look at the early products that i did and they were a struggle in terms of sales because they were they just weren't really differentiated enough
2: which is super important and it takes circles us back to the building complex sourcing complex products which actually gives you some form of defensibility at the end of the day Michael. What are some of the most important features, sourcing features on Alibaba.com that are essentially indispensable to the way, to your sourcing process with all that you do?
0: Yeah, it's a really good question. and I love Alibaba.com for this, especially we were talking about how things have changed globally. Um, back in the day where I switched to going to things in person, it was a lot of serpentining booths in, at the canton fair or something to, to do this. Now you can do all this online, virtually in a matter of minutes, and and not have to travel halfway across the world. So some of the things that come right to top of mind is just the fact that they have verified suppliers, which takes out the the supplier roulette in my mind, where at least I know that someone else has independently vetted these people. Means a lot to me, especially when you're talking about the types of dollar volumes that we're talking about. I know that they've worked with other customers. Someone else has taken that chance before me (laughs) and they've become verified because they've had history on the platform, which it's like almost like a rating system on eBay or Etsy or one of these other platforms where it's hard to, or Airbnb or whatever it might be. Like it's hard when you first get started, but like someone else has worked with them and, and now they're verified. To me, that's really like super important. When you place an order with Alibaba.com or work with them, they include third-party inspections along the way, which is a really important thing we really haven't talked about in other aspects here. It's actually one of the most important lessons that I've learned is making sure that everything gets inspected, no matter how big or small, no matter how many times you work with somebody, it's super important to to get third-party inspections done. If you don't, you're guaranteed Sooner than later, to end up with a box of pinball parts that that are that you can't really sell when you've ordered like a boating gear or something, it's it's just only a matter of time. And so it really helps protect you, helps you solve a problem before it's way too late. And so that's a, a great feature. One of my favorite things recently is just like their re- request for quote system. You know, we're launching a new brand right now, and so we are trying to pretty rapidly uh, roll out a bunch of new products. And being able to uh, request a quote for a particular widget, you you, you know upload your the, the specifications and things that you want, and you'll get a quote from a bunch of different people all at once, and be able to to do the shotgun method of sourcing rather than the one at a time. You know that's actually another really I, I know I keep on coming up with more things as I'm talking about this, but one of the things that I learned also along the way is. This one at a time thing, which is, I think that's the way that, that I was always raised, right? It's you're working with somebody, you want to give them a chance. It's disrespectful to be talking to someone else about the same thing at the same time in a lot of ways. But uh, if you take that strategy into sourcing internationally, you're going to lose because you're going to chew up a bunch of time and time's your biggest commodity. It isn't actually the money, it's the time. So with their RFQ feature, you can get up to 10 suppliers giving you quotes all at once. And it isn't disrespectful it's disrespectful to yourself not to do it this way (laughs) because again, time. And so you'll get to get pricing from multiple people at one time and evaluate multiple factories uh, at one time and and make the best decision for yourself rather than daisy chaining this uh, along and wasting much time. Another great thing is, uh, again, you can source globally. Uh, And so having the whole world at your fingertips and being able to explore other geographical regions other than the one you might have uh, originally thought or originally been working in uh, is really important. And the last one is the VR showroom. Being able to like virtually look at stuff uh, online is an incredibly awesome feature to me. And there's probably some others that I didn't think of, but those are the ones off the top of my head that I think are are the most important.
2: I love this conversation. We would love to have you back again. Yeah.
0: For people who want to find out more about you, Ecom Crew. Is it ecom, EcomCrew, ecom, ecom Crew, ECOM. C-R-E-W, yeah, ecomcrew.com, ecomcrew on iTunes, on all the social medias. um, Yeah, come check it out. We've been talking about e-commerce for six years or whatever it is now, almost 500 episodes, and love to have uh, people
1: check it out. A
2: pleasure having you on the Alibaba.com Sourcing Insights
0: podcast. Cheers. Thanks, my friend.
1: Alibaba.com Sourcing Insights is the official podcast from the Alibaba.com team. Each week on the show, we bring you conversations with industry-leading experts who are using Alibaba.com to build and scale their businesses. These conversations help you explore opportunities through digital global sourcing amidst changing times and find diversified winning products and leading suppliers on Alibaba.com. Subscribe and be sure to check back for regular episodes.